Now, now, real people, real opinions. Nighttime talk with Niall Boylan. Ireland's classic hits radio. Tonight we do, every night, as you know, we have a guest in around this time. And one tonight is a fascinating guest, one I was kind of looking forward to as well. Um, with an even more fascinating life story. Lisa Cohn is an award-winning author of To the Moon and Back, A Childhood Under the Influence, a memoir that chronicles her childhood growing up in the Unification Church, the Moonies, you might have heard of, uh, they were better known as, uh, with her mum and a life of sex, drugs and squalor in New York City's East Village back in the 1970s with her dad. She's also a keynote speaker, leadership consultant and executive coach, and she joins me on the line. Uh, Lisa, good evening to you. How are you? Good evening, Niall. I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. I, I was always fascinated, Lisa, by the Mooney story. And I know for you it's not a fascination, <laughs> it's a real-life experience. Uh, but I was always fascinated by this story of this man from South Korea as a teenager who believed he had Jesus' work to complete and had this very different notion of how religion should be. I, I think he was Korean, wasn't he? Um, that's where they got the name. Was, yeah, yeah. Sun Young Moon, I think, was his name. So that's where they get the name the Moonies came from. So when, when did, I mean, at what point in your very young childhood did you realize you were in some sort of religion that was extremely strict or in a very different life to your kind of friends and colleagues that you might have known in school? Well, so I did not, I did not join until I was 10. Um, my mom joined when we were 10. I was 10 and my brother was 11. And I knew that it was different from that moment, but you don't, I thought you were going to ask me, when did you know it was a cult? Because the thing about being in an extreme religion is you don't think you're in an extreme religion. You know, you have the truth. And so you, I didn't think I was in an extreme situation. I thought I was incredibly lucky to know the Messiah and to know the Messiah was on earth and to sacrifice my life for that. So mm. it's a, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's the thing about extreme belief is that you don't, you know, I, I remember when I was about 15, I was proselytizing. I was trying to bring in members and I met someone who was a Mormon. I remember thinking, Oh man, she's in a weird religion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I know. <laughs> I, I always, but I, I'm not religious at all. I, I consider myself probably atheist, right? And I always find it hard, you know, when you talk about different religions. And I remember somebody talking to me about, you know, Tom Cruise and, and John Travolta and um, yes. and their religion. Scientology, yep. Yeah, Scientology. And they believe that, you know, their God is so alien from space. And people say to me, can you believe they believe their God is like an alien from space? And I'm going, yeah, what religion are you again? And they go Catholic. So I said, your one sits <laughs> up in the clouds on a chair with a crozier in his hand. Is that that much different, really? And, and I always kind of, and I don't mean to disrespect Catholics or Christians, but but all religions are based on some sort of faith of some something that's reasonably supernatural. But but this guy, Sung Young Moon, as a teenager, he believed that he was the new Messiah because he was on earth to complete Jesus' work, which was kind of a bizarre story. So at what stage did that become for you as a young teenager, probably most likely? Did it become a problem? So first, I'm going to tell you that there's a Stephen Wright joke, and it says war over religion is like arguing over who has the best imaginary friend. Yeah. So <laughs> I am agreeing with you, right? Like, it's all, we don't know, right? It's all made up. But when you believe, you believe. Yeah. And so I would say when I, you know, my story, when I was a teenager, I wouldn't say that it became a problem per se, but long, long story short, it was my life. It was everything. And I happened to also be friends with Moon's children, some of Moon's children and other 
what are known as blessed children, special children who were born into the church. And when I was about 15, stuff went down. One of my friends spread a rumor about me. Moon heard it and believed it and decreed that I could not be near his kids anymore. And uh, that's when it all started to unravel Mm -hmm. um, because I knew we were literally taught that if we ever questioned anything, it was Satan inside of us. It's one of the ways they control you and keep you. So I knew that like the Messiah knew I was evil and I was therefore questioning and therefore I was evil. And that started my pulling away a little bit and getting very, very confused. And I, I left somewhere in the beginning of my years in university, somewhere in there but I never really left in my heart. How did when you I last left, that long? He was the Messiah. How did you last How did that? I last Yeah, that at long? university. Because it, it, you mentioned it, or you talk about the fact that, you know, that it's sex, drugs, and squalor, all right? I, and, <laughs> and, I don't, and I don't know if, you know, being in the Moonies was, apart from being a cult, was it a commune apart from anything else? I mean, were, were individuals within the religion having sex with each other? Or, or what was, you know, because you often hear that within cults, you know, that you have elders who are having sex with everybody. or Was that the kind of thing it was, or am I misguided in that? So you're mostly misguided. I will say that it was a puritanical cult. Um, sex outside of marriage was frowned upon and wrong. That being said, long story short, you find out many years later that Moon was having sex outside of marriage. So, so you're kind of right. But as mm. far as I knew when I was in there, it was really just, puritanical absolutely you don't do anything so it was okay it was okay for moon to do it but it wasn't okay for everybody else to do it of course because he was the messiah providential right yes it's providential for the messiah to do it because that's how he's saving the world by sleeping with women but but the rest of us were not allowed to do it exactly okay populating the world of mini moons so so in saying that (laughs) as well i mean in relation to say the finances and and a lot of cults you know insist that you give you know, a large portion of your tidings, as they call it, or your money, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to the Messiah or, or to the group. Was, was Is that the way it is within that cult as well, financially? Were you allowed to keep your tidings? So I, my, when I, when my mom joined, my mom moved in and I and my brother stayed out. And so I didn't live in the church. I lived with my father and, you know, in the East Village in sex, drugs and squalor, as I define it. And, um, but my mom gave everything. My mom gave everything she owned. Most members gave everything they owned. Uh, most members worked for free, uh, you know, fundraise, raising money, witness, bringing in other members. My mom took care of other people's children. People would go out on missions and leave their young infants in the nursery. And my mom took care of the, uh, the kids in the nursery, never paid. So it really, well, yes, Moon's family had a lot of money and still has a lot of money. And mm. members were truly destitute, and many of the members there now are, are very destitute. I, because so, I know they have a presence in so many countries um, across the world yes, now. They do. You know, so it's not just yes, obviously do. these villages in New York. They, for other people who don't understand, they have a presence across the world, um, and 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 they still exist, by the way. And and there is a lot of small religions, by the way, that still exist or cults, as people might want to call them. And so, at what point did you step away? When can you remember the day that was the turning point for you, and you went, oh, "I've had enough of this." Uh, so for me, it really wasn't like that. It was, as my brother said, I never left. I just slowly drifted away. It, it, you know, I mooned heard these rumors, made the decree, kept me away from his kids. I'm in my last year of school, and I decided to spend more time with friends outside of the church to see life on the outside so I can go back and I get drunk at a party and kiss a boy, and I have a boyfriend, which, again, is a huge sin, and mm-hmm. then all hell breaks loose, and I go off to university, and I 
I almost jump off a bridge, <laughs> but instead I decide like, cause dying would be easier than choosing whether or choosing to leave because I believe he's the Messiah and I'm abandoning God and breaking God's heart and falling and failing. Um, and that's my first year of university. And by the, my end of the universe, my fourth year, I'm more able to say I'm not a Mooney and I was, but it was a very slow process for me. Some people know that it's wrong and leave. Some people leave even though they still believe it. And I just took a long process of the guilt and the shame of leaving were excruciating for me. I, I know there the were some people who filed lawsuits uh, against uh, Moon uh, because they, yep. well, the parents said they had to be deprogrammed. Um, uh, obviously because yep. they'd been brainwashed or in, um, you know, institutionalized into it. And they took civil lawsuits. Now, the supporters of the group at the time, they, they saw this as some sort of persecution against the religion, which wasn't the case. How do those, how do those uh, cases fare off? Did, did anybody actually win a case against them? I honestly don't know. Mm. I really don't know that. Yeah, I mean, the way I describe this extreme believing and that, you know, you say you're an atheist, right? And so you don't believe in any of religions, but there is no drug as intoxicating as having the truth. Yeah. Whether it's religious truth, there are other extreme beliefs that are self-help groups, that are psychology groups, that are political groups. But when you, as humans, we crave certainty, purpose, and community. And when you believe like that, you have absolute certainty, you have purpose, you know why you're here. And as long as you don't leave, you have the best community ever. So it's a, it's a human thing that it fills and it's intoxicating. It's intoxicating to believe it's true, to know. And was, was, we know it's true. I mean, Moon himself, I mean, was he a believable type of character? Was he a strange character? I know he was convicted of tax evasion at one stage back in the 1980s, <laughs> but was he, was he a believable person? I mean, was he good at what he did? which was convincing other people that he, he was, was the Messiah. extremely good at what he did. He was extremely, I happen to think he was brilliant. I happen to think the, the ways that we were indoctrinated and the ways our mind was contained and controlled. Like if you question it's Satan, so you never question anything. Those are so powerful mm. that it, it's, it's very difficult to unravel. I, so my, my memoir was published in 2018 and that's when I first started really speaking out. And back then in 2018, if you asked me to say anything negative about Moon, I couldn't talk. I literally would freeze up because my brain was so unwilling to say and think anything negative. And that's 40, almost 40 years after leaving. Mm. Um, he was charismatic in his really weird way. He was certain of his, someone once asked me if he, if I think he thought he was the Messiah. And I said, if enough people bow to you, I think eventually you come to believe it. So yeah, he, I, he did a good job. <laughs> and I know, I know one, one of his family members, I think it might have been one of his, da- his daughters or daughter-in-law tried to expose him at one stage and expose life in yes. the Moon family. That was around the yes. end of the 1990s, I think. Um, and uh, But it didn't really go very far. Um, but but she did try to expose it. It's, I mean, there's a lot of those kind of groups and cults in America. Some of them more dangerous than others, of course. Some of them people have taken their lives, and we've seen that as well in Waco and places like that. Um, where people have taken yep. their lives in the Manson family and all those other kind of cults that were around at the time. I, I don't know whether cults are as big now. I mean, are, are, are we still seeing new cults starting all the time? I think, so cults is this weird world that some people like and some people don't, but I think extremist belief and extremist mind control is as powerful as it was. It's just maybe not in the news as much. There's, you know, with the internet, it's very easy 
to get people in a lot of ways. There's a lot of different ways. There's a, a model it's called the bite model. It's when your behavior, information, thinking, and emotions are controlled. And there's a lot of different organizations and, you know, there's a lot of that kind of thinking in my country's political world right now, mm. right? So there's just a lot of, you know, that certainty that us versus them and that absolute unwillingness to consider anything other than your truth. There's yeah. a lot of it going around. I mean, an unmeasured ways. belief in anything becomes a cult, I suppose, in some sense, you know, be, be yeah. you a supporter of a, you know, a pop band or you know, whatever it happens to be, or or even, you know, I mean, okay, people, you know, some people are pro-climate change, some people are against it, but but I, I, I find yep. that with the reduction in religion in the world, and we've seen a, a huge reduction in, in the belief of, in a god or religion in the world, mm-hmm. um, I mm-hmm. find that people still need something to latch on to, don't they? They need something to yeah. follow or be part of something, be it veganism or... <laughs> I remember there was a fa- phase we went through here in Ireland about five years ago where people were ordering everything gluten-free. It, it, it's kind of that, that thing where you're going to have to latch on to something, don't you? It is human nature. It is... We are... Uh, there's... um. I, so the vow, which is the uh, doc. Sorry, I'm also mildly concussed. So I hope I'm making sense. But the the vow is a documentary Gosh. about. Are you okay? Well, did you hit, did you hit your head? I did. I hit my head. I was slipped. Well, a long story. My kid was trying to help keep me from slipping, and I slipped. They slipped. I slipped into them and slammed my head into my adult kid's head, and I am mildly concussed. But oh gosh, I hope you're okay. Different. Oh, make sure you make sure you get that looked after. I am. I am, and I am, and I am. But so, Mark Pacenti said, no one joins a cult. They just join a really good idea, and then they realize they were, I don't know if I can say the F word on your mm-hmm. classic kids radio. You, you can. It's um, after 9 o'clock. Go on. Then they realize they were fucked, right? Yeah. And so, it really is people, and they also say, like, if you think you're not susceptible, you're the most susceptible because they go after people who think they're not susceptible. Again, we crave certainty. We crave something to believe in. It's a human need, and if and it can why, why do intelligent people? I mean, you, you, your your new book is the power of thought, <laughs> power of thought for leadership, right? That's your your next book or your, yeah. your, the other book that you have, the power of thought for leadership. Yeah. And a question I often wondered is, when I see really intelligent people, I'm not going to name anybody, but I can think of one individual I know who's a really intelligent guy. He's very famous, very intelligent. Comes out with some brilliant theories in relation to all sorts of things, you know, and capitalism and all sorts of different things around the world, right? And yet he believes in lizard people. And I'm going, okay, everything else you said was excellent. You know, oh, God, it made, really made me think. But now you're telling me the president of America is a lizard person. You know, so why is it that really intelligent people latch on to some of the most ridiculous ideas? I, I can't answer that to you, but that is a brilliant question. Mm. It truly is. Yeah, I mean, Again, these people we, are so we, intelligent. It's easy to believe things. Yes, it's easy to believe things. I think yeah. we're, we're kind of all susceptible you know, to that, so aren't we? we we are, and we so we like our brain is full of biases, right? They help us survive in the world. So we have confirmation bias, which just makes us see things that confirm what we already believe. But we also have a bias that we're not biased, mm-hmm. right? So I know that you're biased, but I'm really objective. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's it's we. I heard Tara Brock is a mindfulness teacher, and I heard her say recently, "Don't believe anything I think." Right? Like my thoughts are not necessarily true, but we very easily believe in our own thoughts and then our mind confirms it for us. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. And I suppose with the internet nowadays, we tend to go down rabbit holes, don't we? I mean, I've 
Yeah. I've often gone down the rabbit hole at one o'clock in the morning with YouTube videos. And <laughs> you, you get out and you go, really, are they spreading chemicals in the sky from aeroplanes? Right, <laughs> and the strangest things can become true. Right, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I know you're currently living in Pennsylvania, uh, in the States, but you still consider yourself a native New Yorker. Are you you proud of New York? (laughs) New York has changed quite substantially. I lived in New York, by the way, when I was 21 years of age. I I lived in Queens, and for for nearly a year, illegally. And and I have to say, I loved (laughs) New York, but I have been there recently, and it's changed quite a lot. It's it's not the New York that it was. Nope, nope. Yeah, it's more like an outdoor mall. <laughs> <laughs> it's, that's a good. That's a very good description of it. But but I also find that New Yorkers can be very disconnected. You know, I mean, there was a time when you walked down New York City and you walked down through Manhattan and people say hello to you, even though you didn't know them. Just like in Ireland, you know, the strangers say hello to each other. But now I find New Yorkers now, and I don't want to insult every New Yorker because we do get some callers on the air every now and again, but people who listen live in New York online, and but I find them very insular. Uh, maybe is that my imagination, or is that just the way New York has changed? That people are going to keep to themselves. I think overall, many places people keep to themselves, perhaps more than they did. I mean, when I grew up, when I grew up in New York, when I grew up in the city, you know, I lived in the East Village. My dad used to say, "There's no life above 14th Street." And I, I lived in the East Village when I was working in a restaurant. It was down in Soho. You know, I hung out in this whole neighborhood and I could not go outside without running into tons of people I know. It Mm. it used to be a lot of little neighborhoods, but I do think that a lot of it has changed. And I think with the internet and with COVID and with all that's happened, many people have become much more insular. So perhaps that's, I still love New York because I feel it when I go home. So I haven't noticed it as much, but that could be to be part of it. Yeah, America's going to get a lot more political as well than it ever had been before. Um, you know, but maybe that's just because we see it more because we learn more about it now, whereas before we kind of didn't really have it. Your, your book, by the way, yeah, that you're the author of To the Moon and Back, did you get any reaction, by the way, from the Moonies to your book? I mean, was there any controversy surrounding that or were they, they clearly weren't happy with it, I wouldn't imagine. But I mean, did you get any reaction to it? I got very, very little. I kind of slid under the radar. I got, I went, when the book came out, I was on, I was on the, interviewed on the Megyn Kelly show when there was a Megyn Kelly show. And they made a comment. Someone made a comment who said, you know, it's very easy to leave the church. Lisa was damaged because her parents were divorced. And that's the only comment any, and the person who made it had never read the book or met me. Yeah. Um, That's the only comment they made. And And other than that, I've gotten like a few really slimy emails or social media posts from people who didn't know me. But basically, they haven't noticed yet. So, yeah, I think they noticed when I was, I mean, there was a recently uh, How to Become a Cult Leader was a Netflix documentary that I was part of. And I think they may have noticed that more, but and I got more comments about that. But and what's, nope, what's the name no of the Netflix really documentary, by the way? I must watch it. What is the, what's the name of the documentary? How to Become a Cult Leader. How to Become a Cult Leader. If anybody, this, yeah. yeah, they did a How to Become a Tyrant and How to Become a Cult Leader. They're kind of tongue-in-cheek about, you know, if you yeah. want to become a cult leader, this is what you need to do. Yeah. So. I, I've often thought about becoming a cult leader myself. No, I haven't, actually, when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> you say well, that. you have an audience, so you're one well, step ahead. Well, well I, I suppose in some sense, in the, 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 the new cult leaders nowadays are just influencers, aren't they? They're the same thing, really, aren't they? I mean, just on a smaller scale, maybe, although some of them have a quite big audience. But these kind of influencers on Instagram... I mean, we see young people, you know, you know, so attached to these people and they follow everything they say and they live their lives like these role models where well, they perceive them to be role models of society. So they kind of are almost like mini cults. 
I would say they do have that influence and they, people do follow it. And what sets it apart in my mind is whether they use their influence for good or mm. for evil. Mm. Right. And so what makes it a cult, if you use that word, is when it is abusive to the people who are following. Yeah. When people are harmed yeah. mentally, physically, whatever, emotionally. So, so I, you know, I know some influencers and I think they're doing a lot of good and I wouldn't, Call them cult leaders in any stretch, yeah. but it's when that power is abused, yeah. then, then it crosses a line. And we've seen that with, what's that guy's name? Oh, I can't remember his name. Um, the misogynistic guy. What's it, What's his name again? Uh, Jane, what's his name again? It's got out of my head. Ta- Andrew Tate. Yeah, Andrew Tate. Uh, we've seen, maybe that's uh, when it's not being used for good. Uh, but okay, you've, you've yeah. used your bad experience, by the way, for good, because I know you, you, know, you help other people now. And you're now a public speaker. You do TEDx uh, talks, and you also kind of do uh, leadership consultancy as well. You're an executive coach, so you kind of bring other tools, mind shifts, and practices that you found and created uh, to, to help you to heal to other people, I suppose. Yeah, I am. Um, the The good thing about my memoir being, you know, published is before it was published, I didn't really share my story because it kind of sucks energy out, like the air out of the room. If you say, "Oh, there is a cult." That's all that matters to people. Mm. But now that it's pretty public, and if you Google me, you see it. If you Google my brother, I come up. Um, that now I use everything I've had to do to heal, which is a lot. To in my in my work with my clients, I you know I share everything, every tool and resource and practice that I've come up with or that's been given to me, I pass along. So mm. my my goal is to spread hope. Yeah. Right. You know, you come out of something like this or other tough traumatic situations and you think you're broken or you're damaged or there's something really wrong with you. And my goal is to help people realize that there's hope and that they're not damaged, that and, they and can do you think you rise and be damage. happy. Do you think you've had permanent damage from being in the Moonies? I think my childhood gives me scars. I don't think I am damaged. I think I have scars. I think mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. reactions. I still, to this day, am processing much of the stuff yeah. I experience part of my quote-unquote trauma is not believing it was that bad <laughs> like okay. was it really bad <laughs> um but so i don't think i have permanent damage in a bad way but just as if you break your arm when you're a kid and you know it aches when it rains yeah, yeah i have triggers and stuff yeah. because things my that bring brain back bad memories actively, yeah yeah i my brain was actively controlled. it's not even memories it's just my brain was so actively controlled that there are ways that it is, I call it carved. It was pickled in it, right? Yeah. Ways that it reacts based on that. And so it's, but I have a lot of practices that help me do great. So, yeah. Well, look, if people want to grab your books, uh, they can. Uh, the Power of Th- Thoughtful yeah. Leadership is one. And uh, the other book, of course, is uh, To the Moon and Back. A Childhood Under the Influence, a memoir that chronicles your childhood growing up in the Unification Church, better known as the Moonies. Lisa, it's been lovely talking to you, and I really wish you it's well. It's been lovely talking to you. It's been a very interesting conversation, and I hope you have a wonderful life ahead. And I hope you look after that concussion, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you I will. Right after you get down, my husband's making me dinner. I'm going to go rest my way up. <laughs> yeah, I do. Make, and that. make sure you look out for all those bad symptoms, you know, so, you know. And if you need to go to see a doctor, see a doctor. Anyway, listen, thank you very much indeed, Promise. Lisa. I appreciate you thank coming you on and talking thank to you. us. Uh, there you go. What a lovely lady. Lisa Cohen. 
Now, now, real people, real opinions. Nighttime talk with Niall Boylan. Ireland's classic hits radio.